You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. I was visiting a client. This is a few years ago, and I went over to the client's office, and I was standing out in their hallway, and I was waiting for this person that I was going to be meeting with to get done with the phone call so we could start our meeting. And across the hall was another person who I had been working with quite a bit, and they were sitting in their office very focused, and I will call him Bob, just just to have a name. His name's not Bob, but I'll just call him Bob for now. And Bob was sitting there working at his desk and Bob just heard me shuffle and he looked up in the hallway and we made eye contact and I said, hey, Bob, how's it going? And Bob said, what? That was Bob's response. What? Okay. In my defense. I was going to say, Bob is Diana, (laughs) right? Bob is Diana. (laughs) I was going to say, say, is this me? Did I do this to you? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Bob is code for Diana in this call. No, this is a client. This is a client. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so let's, let's pause for a minute. Right. Because it could be really easy for me to go like, what did I do to Bob? Why is Bob so cold and not responsive to my just normally warm greeting of, Hey, how are you doing? And all that. But fortunately I knew something about Bob. I'd worked with Bob for a while, just like I've worked with Diana for a while. I know that there was not really an intention there to communicate negative, something negative to me. It was just more of Bob was busy. Bob was focused in what he was doing and Bob was in task mode. And so me interrupting Bob at that moment was, you must have a different task for me to perform and let me go after that. So I just said, oh, Bob, I'm having a meeting across the hallway and I just wanted to say hi. I didn't need anything else from you. And Bob's immediately turned a little bit more friendly and said, oh, okay, good. Good to see you, Don. And then that was pretty much the end of the conversation there. Communication is tricky, right? Those types of interactions, I'll bet you can count so many times where you have met with somebody where you've had a conversation and it went really weird. And you're like, why did that go weird? That person didn't listen to me. That person started asking me all these questions and they didn't need to. That person started talking about the people that were involved. And it really wasn't about the people. It's about the process. And sometimes we just miss each other on communications. It's not that we don't have the conversations. It's that when we do have the conversations with other people, where the conversations just don't seem to go well. And the reason why they often don't seem to go well is because we actually have different communication styles that we fall back to. And we tend to communicate really well with people who have our similar communication style, but we tend to struggle with people who have very different styles. So today we're going to talk about those communication styles. We're going to list four different communication styles. We're going to point you to an assessment that you can even take to help you understand your communication style. And we have all four styles represented on our five-person team here today. And so we'll walk through what those communication styles are, and it's going to be really, really, really good. Diana, can I ask you a question just to start off so you can hear everybody's voice? Why are you the way that you are? How dare you? Uh, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I am the way that I am and take it or leave it. That's kind of paraphrasing Popeye, I believe. All right. I think (laughs) That's great. Leadership lesson from Diana there. That's good. All right. We also have Stephanie Anderson, who is with us. I don't want to reveal like communication styles yet, because I want us to go through as a team as we go to reveal what those are. 
But uh, Stephanie, have you learned a lot from the communication styles discussions since you joined our team? I have. Yeah. I think it's always interesting to see the styles come to light and like learn about yourself and the styles where you're like, Oh, maybe that's why we work so well together. Or maybe that's why this person and I always seem to like bump into each other weirdly. So yeah, I've learned, I've learned a lot. It's fun. It's awesome. And then we've also got Bethany Taff who I've learned a lot from because Bethany and I have different communication styles. And I've learned a lot from watching Bethany communicate. And I've been able to actually learn and emulate some of the things that Bethany's done to kind of fake it. So if you think I do a good job on it, Bethany, thank you for helping me with my communication. Oh, you're welcome. I've learned a lot from all of you guys too. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. That was a soft setup for that. I was like, yeah. I, it's better than you saying, it's about time you guys learned something from me because I have a lot to teach you all. Yeah. <laughs> I almost just Perfect. lost my whole laptop. If you're watching us, it's just about closed, but I'm still here and I am not mad and I'm really glad to be on this podcast. Today. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you just saw like, it looked like Bethany's laptop almost fell asleep. Like it was like, not at off, just almost lost it there. Bethany goes through about three laptops a month. It's yeah. just fun fact. It's a little hard on technology in our team, <laughs> but it's fine. And then we've got our host, Matt Griswold. Matt and I get to travel around quite a bit and do conferences. And I know Stephanie's doing some conferences and stuff with us too. And we get to do this title, this these talks on communication style. So we'll give you a little bit of a preview on that. If you are attending one of those workshops with us, you're still going to be able to come in and learn what your style is and still be able to interact. So you'll still have opportunities to learn a lot more. So we'll uh, turn this over to our fearless host, Matt Griswold. Hello, everybody. I ain't learned nothing from nobody. That's what I just wanted to add to that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're always we're, we're always learning. You know, sometimes I say things, especially if you've seen me on stage, I say things just for the facial nonverbal reactions that I get from people. And two please, of the sir, nailed it. Please, please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> please, that was sir. Your... Can I have some more? I did that this weekend and it was fantastic. Most of the people knew what I was talking about. I actually got a pretty good, pretty good reaction. You had to be there. This communication styles content is like they alluded to it, but I'm going to build it out just a little bit further because we give this presentation quite a bit. This is probably one of our most requested workshops for organizations as they go and see us speak. They, you know, one of the top two things that people always ask us for support in is communication. And a lot of times I think they're thinking of methods of communication and not necessarily the styles of communication. I would just say this, I want to frame this out just a little bit uh, more. I want to take a couple of different steps here, but we would say communication influences everything that you do on a daily basis. That's like one of the foundational elements of this workshop. And I think most people agree. Understand when we're talking about communication, we're not just talking about the words that we use. We're also talking about those nonverbals, the facial expressions. Chances are, if you had a good day at work, communication with others was pretty good. If you had a bad day at work, communication was probably not great. Now, I would also say this, we have more methods of communication than ever, ever before. We have more access to people than we have ever had before, ever in the history of ever, right? Team, what are some of the different methods of communication that uh, we currently have at our disposal now, just in life? Well, as I have learned, Matt likes to just video call you at any hour of the day. Fantastic. That's probably the best one. Good job, Diana. That's probably the best communication method. Uh, mm -hmm. What other methods are out there? There's emails, email, any of those. Yep. Don still likes to fax too. If you have any of those, those folks there. Yeah. Fax me. 
Fax me something if you want to fax me something. <laughs> Page me. Call my beepers. Page. Yeah, the beepers. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even believe faxes still exist. Oh, they're out Person. there. It's crazy. Anyways, texting, which is a personal favorite of mine. Texting. Yeah. All right. So are you the uh, please don't call me, text me? No, no. I don't mind if people call me, but texting sometimes is just easy. So okay, good. I'm going to write that down. Bethany does not care if I call her. Good. I've got it. Yeah. My husband is a like, please do not call me. Like he oh. get phone calls. So don't call yeah. any of you ever. <laughs> I feel like there's also a million of the online ones like messenger and WhatsApp. And now there's like Slack and teams. And it just feels like there's nine zillion ways to yeah. get a hold of everybody you know the the kicker to this too and when we're doing this in presentations and different workshops it's funny i'll ask them the same question what methods of communication do we have now diana started with video conferencing uh because she knows me but typically or video calls but typically we'll get email text instant message and then like fourth or fifth down the list they'll be like calling somebody face to face like it's it seems like it's further further down the list of actual yeah. communic face to face interaction there's also the got a second. Yeah. The knock on the door. Hey, can yeah. I talk to you for a second? Yeah. yeah. Which is I know, I, I know people just shuddered when they heard that. I saw two people on the call just like, oh, I don't like that. Like there, we have doors at our office. So that's it's just like, uh, let me walk by your desk really quick and say exactly. Hey. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we have more. The, the, the question goes, uh, you know, we have more access to anybody, to everybody than than ever before. So why isn't everybody getting the information that they need to succeed on a daily basis? That's the question. We have more methods of communication. Sometimes, sometimes it's because there's too many methods of communication right i don't know are we slacking are we teams and are we zooming are we what are we doing like what are, what are we what are we doing but then the reality is and and kind of just moving us towards uh, towards the point is the misconception is that we all communicate in the same style and we do not we have preferred methods of communication style and typically whenever i have a preferred method i want to communicate with everyone else in the same method now this might not be a new concept for you if you are watching along or you're listening maybe you've taken several quizzes like this. There's lots of different tools out there. This is our own version of what this looks like. In fact, we've uh, narrowed it down. Kind of, It's kind of like a watered down version of like a Myers-Briggs or something like that, where it's going to go into four basic styles. After the quiz, you can assess yourself. But really, as we have the conversation, you're probably going to be able to identify yourself, which I think is positive. But the negative part of something like, like this is only identifying yourself, right? Uh, only identifying yourself. You can't, you can't wear it around. Like a, I think we, I think we take these quizzes and then we wear it around like a, a scorecard to our life. Like good news, everybody treat me accordingly. And we will get along just fine. If you follow these things about me, we will get along just fine. Didn't you hand your test to your wife and say, good news. Here's how I need yeah. you to treat me from now on. Yeah, that's actually a true story. I took the disc assessment. So it was tongue in cheek, kind of. It was tongue in cheek. I got the results after the disc assessment. And some of you might be familiar with that. And I called her. I didn't, it wasn't in person. I was smarter than that, right? I called her and I was like, hey, good news, honey. Good news. If you treat me like this, our marriage will get along smashingly, right? That's we about, it's about the same time you got your camper too, I believe. Just <laughs> <Right>. to say, <laughs> You know, the, the fruit of this conversation, and we're going to have some fun with this as we dive into this, but the fruit of this conversation is finding out who you are, but also finding out who you are not. Because we have to work with those folks. We don't want to label people, right? But we do. We, we label people every day. And right now, let me just ask the team, how do you typically communicate with the people who are opposite styles of you? 
Like not knowing the styles, not taking the quiz. How do you typically communicate with those people who are your opposites now? You don't. You don't. I like that. We'll just jump right in. Bethany, what were you going to say? I was going to say general confusion, probably. It's like, I don't yeah. know. You don't get me, apparently. <laughs> yes. You know, sometimes we get some very mature answers at conferences when we're doing this. They're like, well, I like to try to ask some good questions, find some common ground with those folks. No, you don't. No, you don't. Like you might evolve to that place, but originally you just avoid them. Like we don't want to label people, but we do. You're annoying. You frustrate me. You give me anxiety. In fact, I am going to do my best to work around you from now on, right? And if we're understanding the team dynamic or projects or work or efficiency, that probably doesn't work the best. How do we work better together? And a lot of times that's understanding where that other person is coming from. So this will hopefully give you a, a more effective way to be able to label people um, into these four different communication, uh, communication styles. You guys just want to hop on in? Or is there anything else that you'd like to share before we do that? All right. So there's, I'm getting, for the people watching on YouTube, you know that they were shaking me off. If you're on a podcast, they said, no, that's good. Let's just jump on in. I wonder why Matt wants to jump right in. That's weird. I wonder if that has something to do with his communication style. <laughs> I also do this a lot. So I, either either way, I'm okay jumping in or I'm okay not jumping in. We can talk about your feelings if you'd rather do that. And, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. There's four basic communication styles, all right? There's four different communication styles. The first one we're going to start with is the go-getter. Now, the go-getter, they tend to place a high value on action and they thrive on getting things done in the here and now. The go-getters typically speak in more of commands rather than questions because they don't need a lot of your inputs so to speak. They already have a direction of where we're going. You're welcome to hop aboard if you would like to join me. Sometimes the go-getters might not care about who they walk over or through to accomplish the goal, which might be a red flag for the go-getters um, as well. The go-getters are all about goal, task, objective. If there's not something to go and get, they're not opposed to creating something to go and get. Like this is where I can't sit idly. That's another one I said this week in idle, idle hands of the devil's playground, right? The go-getter is like, I got to go get something. I can't just sit here and wait. I got to go and get, and you're welcome to join me. How many on the team, who on the team here might be considered a go-getter? That would be me, sir. I am. Yes. That's my highest score is go-getter. Okay. Now, what you'll notice if you all take this quiz that we offer through this, you'll get a score. And I would say, you know, 40, 45, that's a high go-getter. Uh, Diana, you're probably in that 40, 45 range, I would imagine, for go-getter, right? I can't remember, but I am a higher go-getter. Yes. I would say you're, I would say you're way up there. Like the fruit of a conversation like this is understanding. Okay. So if I'm a high go-getter and there's always going to be somebody, I don't know who on the team is the lowest go-getter, but there's going to be somebody like a teens, maybe 20 or below, maybe as a go-getter. The question is, and this is a, a good question for you to make to think about, especially if you're a manager and you're assigning some folks to work on a project or whatever that looks like at work, uh, what does, and this is open for everybody, doesn't just have to be Diana, what does it typically look like potentially for a 40 go-getter working with a 15 go-getter on a project? What could that look like? Well, <laughs> I mean, generally it looks like the go-getter running over everybody. I mean, it really, like, I know that I'm saying that tongue in cheek a little bit, but but really it is like, okay, well, what are we going to do? How come we haven't done this yet? Why did we do this in the past and it failed? Like, I'm, I don't want to talk about a lot of stuff. I just want to go do some things. Just and if we're just going to like ideate and brainstorm and sit in it, I am going to get so annoyed and I'm just going to leave the meeting. Like, so, do that part without me. Yeah. Bethany? I have a question, Diana. Do you feel like though, 
whenever you're working with somebody who is a low get go getter, like, do you care if that person is going and getting with you as long as you can go do it? Or do you, or like, is that frustrating? Or are you just like, as long as I can go do it, I'm good. I, th- uh, I think as long as someone can go do it, even if that's me, I'm fine with that. The conversation itself is frustrating for me. If there's no action to it, the conversation itself feels frustrating. I like how Diana just said, I don't like a lot of questions. And Bethany's like, I have a question. <laughs> I'd like to start this off with a question. Anybody else have any questions for Diana before we get going? I also noticed, you know, we're going to, not to steal our thunder, but at the end of this, we're going to tell you, you like, you can't give everybody in your life a communication assessment, right? That you meet, but you can get clues on the questions that people do ask. And there were a lot of clues in Bethany's question that just asked about what Bethany's dominant style is just to, just to forecast that out there. So communication. Wonderful. So let me let me let me ask this question too, because a, a forty go getter and a fifteen go getter. Let's use that as an that as an example. Who's going to take the lead on the project most likely? I think a lot of times go getters take the lead because we feel like we can't wait for somebody else to do it. Yeah, and the follow up question is: If I'm the fifteen go getter in that scenario, do I care that the forty took the lead? Am I fighting you for control? No, in fact, I'll probably be your biggest, I'll probably be your biggest cheerleader, right? Like jump on in there, buddy. You got it. Let's take off. Like you can do this. Let me know if you need anything, right? Or, or the go-getter will say, okay, if you're going to take lead, like the go-getter is not on board totally with the project and the, and the low go-getter, the no-getter, as we could call them, the (laughs) no-getter. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'll call him the low-getter. We'll call him the low-getter. If if the low-getter is like, no, we have to plan all this stuff. Well, a lot of times go-getters like, well, I'll go do something else. And then they'll disengage because they're going to spend their energy someplace. So maybe if the, if the low-getter does get the project, they might spend some extra time on it and say, okay, well, call me when you're ready to actually do something. Yeah. That call me when you're ready to actually work. I think I have said that to multiple people, like just don't involve me until you're down well down your like ethereal headspace. Yeah. Like I'm tell me when you need something. Your nonverbals are speaking loud and clear today, Diana. We get it. I get it. Hey, between a 40 and a 15 go getter, is there frustration? And the second part of the question is, who's frustrated? You're both frustrated, I think. You're both I, frustrated. I would assume you're both frustrated, yeah. Yeah, so what's the 40 go-getter frustrated by the 15 go-getter? Everything moves too slowly. Why are we Why are we not doing things? We said we got to get this done. There's no deadlines. There's no action. There's no plan. Yeah. What's yeah. the 15 go-getter frustrated, frustrated by, the go, by the 40 go-getter? You are running me over. Slow down. Just ask some questions. Why are you so reckless in what you're doing? Yeah, I think that's a powerful conversation or at least thought, because I think whenever I ask that question, uh, is there frustration? Yeah, the 40 go-getter is super frustrated because they're not moving. Well, there's equal frustration on the other side of that coin, too. That person is frustrated because you were not thinking about the things that you're moving at a pace that is not comfortable um, over here as well. So go-getters. Let's move on to the empathizers. Empathizers are the ones who place a high value on human interaction, and they're attracted by jobs or social or uh, situations in which social interpersonal contacts with others are highly likely, meaning the empathizers in the room don't want to be by themselves in a room just knocking out spreadsheets. They value relationships and collaboration. They want to be with the people. The empathizers 
advisors are also the ones who are, you know, maybe before I make a decision, I need to ask a couple of different people because I know this is going to affect a couple of different people as well. I want to get buy-in from them before I do something. Sometimes you can anticipate the uh, empathizer that making sure somebody else has before they have right? They're putting other people first. They value relationships. They value using somebody's name. Uh, they might want some context on your family and, and you about, about you personally before they get into anything like work-related, like that type of that type of thing. So the go-getter is goal, task, objective. Empathizer is people, relationships, collaboration. Who's uh, empathizers here on the team? Uh, Bethany, you're, you're the high empathizer? Yes, that's my number one. That's your number one. So it's the number one. Number yeah. one. <laughs> right, right. Over everybody, whatever else you all, whatever else you all are. So if we have, uh, let's talk about misnomers. I think the misnomer here for the empathizer is that they don't want to get stuff done. They just want to have committees. They just want to talk about stuff. That's not true. Right, Bethany? What's your approach to maybe trying to get stuff? Because you do want to get stuff done. You're a high empathizer. It doesn't mean you don't want to get stuff done, but maybe your approach is a little different. Can you talk about that? Yes, but I want people's buy-in. So I think that's the difference is I want people to be like going in the same direction as me. And if there are issues or if people feel like there's going to be a problem or a barrier, if it's not going to work well, like I need to, I want to know those things before we start executing on it. However, whenever I'm ready to start executing on something, I might call Diana <laughs> and I might say, hey, I need your help to figure out like what the next step is. I've already like talked to everybody. I think we're ready to do this thing. Like how do we move forward with this? So that's, that's the, that's how I would do it probably. Yeah. Trying to get, trying to get by. And I want to have some conversations, which, you know, if I'm the go-getter, if we're just for context as a bigger picture, that frustrates me because we already know what you're supposed to do. Just go and get it done. Right. And the, and the empathizers going, I do want to get it done. But I need a little buy-in here, a collaboration before I can actually take the steps to get it done. Done? I, th I think another misconception of empathizers that Bethany definitely breaks is that sometimes people think of empathizers as being pushovers or kind of weak or not pushing that direction. Bethany's really tough. Bethany's not afraid to ask hard questions, tough questions with clients and kind of press people in a direction and give hard truths. But she does it in a very empathetic way. I've learned a lot just from that, from watching Bethany work. I mentioned at the beginning of this of this episode here, just learning to take a beat and ask questions. How are you? Are you okay? You know, those types of things. So I think that I just wanted to state that Bethany's tough. Just to see her cage a fight. Lot of, a you. lot of empathizers yeah. are like that, right? Like, I think it is the misconception that we have to coddle the empathizers. And I just, don't, that's not true. Like the relationship is important to them but it doesn't mean that you have to fake it and coddle them. And, and it's just that, that is probably more offensive to an empathizer because they know you're faking it. You know, one of, one of the things, and if we were to, if we were to go on further, if we were actually doing this workshop with you, one of the things we talk about later is that's if I'm managing an empathizer, it is one of the things to be careful of uh, because you can, you know, and I always say this, I always say this as well, like anybody manager have that same meeting with the same person every Tuesday at 9am with a different life problem that's happening right now. It's probably, that's so relatable, but maybe you have actually accidentally created that because we did accidentally get too involved in the emotional side of it. And now we're in the coddling phase there. And the empathizer is more than happy to come by and have a cup of coffee and tell you how all, all the, all the different things uh, that are going, that are going on in their life. But I can also identify them and I'm just going to speak. I'm an empathizer as well. I score highly on empathizer. We like to use people's names. We like to defend the actions of other people. If I'm looking for a red flag for an empathizer, like we pointed out some red flags for the go-getter. 
sometimes we defend the actions of other people to a fault. I know I've been guilty of that, Bethany. I don't know if you've been guilty of that, but sometimes we get caught in the emotional side of it because we like that person or we're invested in defending that person. And it can cloud our judgment on maybe the best decision to make for the team or the organization as well. I don't know if you've experienced that. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, but I also think that empathize because we're empathizers our other superpower is that we try to we try to give perspective on all people's actions ideally so if somebody is coming to me with a problem about another person my tendency is to like empathize with that person but also to say oh but like there's also this perspective about what maybe is going on with this person's life or in their situation and trying to like bring those together so that they can empathize with each other a little bit more too so i think that's where like this superpower works out really well for empathizers so that they don't just coddle people in that. Yeah. They're, they're, empathizers are good connectors uh, typically too. And I know for me, I spent a lot of my time going around uh, translating what Diana accidentally, you know, actually means whenever she's using her go-getter words. I'm sorry. She didn't mean it like that. This is what she actually said. Like when she says that she's really trying to say this, I'm sorry about that. Like I'm constantly apologizing for Diana. Is that, you know, he, he actually does that. I'll say something and then the whole room, their face will just like <laughs> fall. And then Matt will be like, well, what is I'm like, no, I was direct. I said what I meant. <laughs> Let me rephrase that before everybody walks out. Let me rephrase that for just a second. Uh, all right, good. Go getter, empathizer. Let's talk about the outliners of the world. The outliners are, is the next group here, the next communication style. Outliners typically place a high value on logic, ideas, and systematic inquiry. The reason why they're called outliners is because they speak in terms of outlines. In fact, if I'm an outliner, I can't go from A to C without first knowing what B is because that's just reckless. Uh, we Don and I were doing this in a uh, for an organization in Kentucky, and they one of the outliners raised their hand and said, "It's it's actually worse than that for me." Like I, you said, I can't go from A to C without knowing what B is. Once I find out what B is, I can't start at B. I have to start over again at A and then to B and then to C. Like everything has to be in order. There's a process for how I approach things. Now, what's interesting is that the outliner shares the same affinity as the go-getter for goals, task, objective, right? They both are like-minded and wanting to achieve those things. However, the approach is a little different. Diana said this years ago, and I've always liked it, and I share it all the time too. But it, it, imagine this: imagine I have a go-getter and an outliner, both on the same starting line, and they are going to achieve a goal. So they're lined up on the starting line. They see the goal. They've identified the goal. It's way down there. But right before they say go, they've also recognized midstream there is a problem. Now the go-getters are like, whatever. We deal with problems all the time. Hop on board. We'll untangle that when we get there. But the outliners might even take a step back away from the starting line and go, mm, I don't like problems. I want solutions to that potential problem, or at least possibilities to that problem before I even take the first step. The go-getters looking at it like we haven't even gotten to the problem, but the outliners like, I don't like rework for, for those manufacturing companies that might be listening. I don't like rework. I don't want to have to go trial and error, trial and error, trial and error for the outliner. They want to accomplish it, but they want to accomplish it correctly the first time. Like I want to give good answers. Who's outliners uh, on the uh, call here? Bethany, it's your second one. Second one yeah. for Diana. Second one for me too. Second one yeah. for you too. Okay. Stephanie, Lowest where are you? for me. Lowest. Lowest for me. 
So <laughs> you'll hear more about my style soon. Stephanie, let's start. I want to start with you, though, on this one, because it's my lowest one. Also, like we share this, this is, uh, you know, understanding who I am, but also understanding who I'm not. I am not an outliner. So how I just explained to the outliner to uh, to everybody there, like what spoke to you or does, doesn't speak to you about that outliner personality communication style? Yeah, I think the struggle for me in the story you were just telling of like the taking the step back. Like that's where for me, I really actually struggle to understand why we would take a step back. Why can't we take a, like a measured step forward, you know? And so that's where for me, like it is my lowest. And so sometimes I find myself struggling in communications with outliners because I'll get it and excited about an idea or something we're going to do. And this tells you a little bit, probably what my style is and they'll go, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to put a whole breaks on this. We don't know these details. We don't know this or that. Um, I can't even think past this. And my brain is going like, I just don't get that. Like, I, I think we could figure it out kind of as we go. And I see there are always, there are moments where I'm like, you're right. We need to just totally stop maybe, but it's for me, it's because we've gotten off track, not because I yeah. need the information before to start. I love how you said we can just figure it out as we go to all the outliners that are like, oh, God, that sounds awful. That sounds terrifying. Like that's that's a recipe for disaster. In fact, some of the some of the, I, the ways that we can identify the outliners, they're typically list makers. Don, you can you know relate to this, too, at conferences when we're up there. And I've told them 12 times we're going to send you the slides after this is over. They're always the one taking the pictures with the cell phones of all the screens. I promise I'm going to send it to you. They're taking all the notes and you're kind of delaying the next slide because they're trying to scribe the entire the entire page of what that looks like like calm down i'm going to send it to you but another way that i can also um recognize them is that they're non-committal under stress or change and now three of you said that this was your second one here maybe talk about that non-committal under stress or change like you have a process for everything something wrecks the process what does that do to you how do you react to that don I think the tendency is to go back then and redesign the process, not to address the situation that's right in front of you. So it's like, we got to go back to the drawing board. We've got to think about the rule. We've got to think about what we did to get here. We need to retriage what just happened, but you have to put the fire out first. So I think that's, that's kind of the challenges. And sometimes, you know, as I'm a, I'm a, I'm the next one. I don't want to reveal it too early, but as an outliner is my second one. Sometimes it's my in my head at swimming all of the different pathways that I see. Like it's like, and I get too much in the details. Like, well, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And that makes you, it looks non-committal, but I think internally you're committing to too many different paths. So outside it approach, you, you, it looks like you're stalling, but you're really trying to process and think through different scenarios. Yeah. I think it's just like, I think when I've been in that position, I'm just trying to figure out what is the next best step. And I can see all these different options for it. And it's trying to, yeah, figure out like, okay, what is the, what's the right one. And I need to figure out like the order that I'm going to follow um, to be able to get this thing done. And so whenever I'm unsure of that, then it, then it feels, it feels a little bit stressful. And like, I just, I can get paralyzed in that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look at it like if we do this, then this will break. Or if we do this, then that will break. So we got to go back to that. And then I'm just sort of like making sure that every single point in the process is actually complete and like won't break another point. And so I just, I'm very, I don't know. I got to think through all of it. Every time you change one thing, I have to think through the whole thing. 
And this is where kind of the rub is between the go-getter and the outliner, right? Even though they both are trying, they're both focused on goal, task, objective, their approach is very, very different. If you're listening right now and you're going, holy smokes, that's me, or holy smokes, that's why those people drag their feet or they're slow to change or, you know, whatever, that's the perception of what that looks like. But, you know, the go-getter is oftentimes frustrated by the outliner because, we got to go, we got to move. I can't, you know, I can't keep running the numbers here. Like we have to make a decision. Whereas the outliner is frustrated by the go-getter. I think, I think it's twofold. One, they're just reckless. You're not thinking about all of the different things that can happen. And two, because, and, and Diana, you could probably relate to this. I know we've had this conversation before, but two, I think the outliner is frustrated by the go-getter because they see the go-getter going and they're just envisioning all the crap they have to follow behind them and pick up and fix and repair. And this is, you know, again, to use a manufacturing term that we talk about, this is where rework comes in. Like you guys, or uh, healthcare, like you're breaking HIPAA violations because you're not following the procedure. Good job. You, you, you reach to the end, but you burn down the whole thing while you were getting to the end. And I think that's the natural rub there between the, the go-getter and the outliner. So let's talk about the last one and then we can maybe talk about, okay, so how do we use this information? Last one here is the whiteboard user. The whiteboard user is the visionary, right? The whiteboard users place a high value on innovation and, and uh, ideas, concept, theory, long range thinking. Typically, the whiteboard users are like the what if, the what if people. Like, what if we went a completely different direction? What if we didn't do anything that we just talked about and go this way instead? Or they're also, we refer to them as the here's a twist, here's a twist. And typically, as you might imagine, the uh, go getters and the outliners don't like twists. I I just need to know where we're going and please don't change the plan. Please don't change the direction or the goal. But the but the whiteboard users are the ones who are they're they're thinking, okay, if I make this decision now, what does this look like today? But what does this also look like a year from now, five years from now? Like, where are we going with this decision? Where ultimately does this lead us? Sometimes these are the great strategic planners because they're not thinking about, I just have to go to work and grind it out. They're thinking about, man, what, what will work even look like later? And then how, what do we need to do to prepare for that? So who's the whiteboard here? Stephanie, your whiteboard, is that your top score? That is my top score by far. By far. Okay. So what speaks to you most out about uh, of that description there, or maybe kind of define with how that relates to you? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm very futuristic. Well, and like we talk strengths finder, like my top two strengths are futuristic and strategic. So I like honestly sitting around and thinking about what the future could look like and what could be and those, well, what if we did it completely differently? Like I'll never forget. I had a boss once who we were in a startup environment and he was like, okay, we kind of have a template for how the business could run, but we want to be the best. And he's starting to lay this out. And I was, I looked at him, I was like, yeah, but what if we did it in a way that no one else has ever done it before? And he goes, well, like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I just think we could think up a way that no one's ever done this before. And what if that could be like the cool, innovative solution to why this business model doesn't work? And he like stared at me for like, it felt like a minute after that. Like, I don't understand. What do you like? What do you mean we could do it away? No one's ever done it before. I'm like, yeah. What if we came up with that new idea? So that is think, that's my greatest relation point. I think I think uh, what's interesting about this because I think whiteboarders and Don, you can chime in here too. This is one of your top scores as well, right? But I, I think for whiteboarders, you're just like, oh man, we could totally do this. This is going to be awesome. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. And then the outliners in the room are going, how do you even possibly take the first step to making that a reality? 
And then the whiteboarders are like, I don't know, man, but these are golden nuggets. Seriously, take these and run with them. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. And as having, like for me, I have both of those, those two are my top. It's whiteboarder outliner, which allows me to think about a new idea and then maybe to go down the road a little ways to think about whether that's possible or not. So all I see are possibilities around me and answers to potential questions. It's just that we have maybe if we don't have an answer for the question, just because we don't have it yet. It's not that we will never have it. Uh, a good example, I think, of a whiteboarder outliner interaction occurred on a board that I was at. We were talking about expanding a program, and we had a lot of outliners on our board who got really stuck on we can't expand it because the the we don't have the bus wasn't large enough to fit all the participants. Like we can't we can't get a bigger you know I'm like can we get a bigger bus? Can we get two buses? Can we get? And I even brought up like the two bus thing. They're like no 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 because parking is going to be just a nightmare. Like we can't we can't expand it. But it was, I mean, it was a big from the the whiteboarders looking at it going, but if we expanded the program, we would bring in a lot more resources and get a lot more people involved. Like we can afford a lot more buses. We could get helicopters, whatever we need to do to solve this problem, we can answer it. And the outliners were really stuck on that. You don't understand. We have a spot for the cooler that sits up front. We have this many seats. I mean, it was really lost in the detail. So I think that's a good example of like the, the natural guy, the natural conflict between outliners and whiteboarders. You know, and and I love that. I've heard that story several times, and I think that's true. And we see that playing out in business quite a bit, uh, quite a bit as well. And I think this is where, you know, for us, you know, just another industry example there, we do need that out that whiteboarder to be able to kind of rock the boat every now and again and be able to throw something out there. We worked with another company, and I won't even say where they are. Uh, well, we worked with another company. There are six people on the executive team. They asked us to co- help them come up with three different things, three objectives, three goals that they wanted to accomplish sometime over the next year. Great, we can do that. Not even a full blown strategic planning thing. Just to work with us, uh, you know, give us a couple of hours. We can help you come up with a few things to a few goals for the next year. And this group of six people took seven or eight hours to come up with three things that we wanted to accomplish. And I think that's interesting because right after that, we took this communication styles assessment and five of the six people raised their hands on the team whenever I said, how many of you are outliners? Five of the six people raised their hand. Now, the owner of the company was also an outliner. And as she raised her hand, she audibly said, oh, no. Oh, no, not because they're outliners, but because five of the six of them were outliners. This is why we're slow to change. This is why we can't make decisions, right? The sixth one uh, on the team, everybody wants to know, what was that other one? They were a go-getter. And I like to ask people, what does that go-getter's life look like surrounded by five five outliners? And they said, I bet they left the room. I'll get that a lot. I bet they left the room to their credit. No, but to what Don was saying earlier, I promise you they were working on other things while you just figured it out so you can give me a direction on where I'm going to go. Imagine if that team had a whiteboarder in the mix to be able to say, "Hey guys, my nightmare scenario." Right, but but from a team, but, but from a team value, this is like let's just go around the horn. Like, why do why do we need go getters on the team? Get stuff done, push the project forward, make progress. Yeah, they're going to start moving. Us us. Focus on what's what's important, what needs to get done. Yeah, keep us driving forward. Why do we need empathizers? They remind us that there are real people behind the problems that we're trying to solve at work. That's nice. Bethany looked offended that I even asked the question in the first place. I was like, nobody's jumping in here. What's <laughs> it was the pause. It was the pause. It was this horrifying moment of like, maybe we don't. 
Like, you know, empathizers. I don't here's know. the reality. You all go to work with people. And sometimes it's important to also have somebody that understands people and can be able to manage those relationships and connect those dots. We want to create buy-in. Bethany said that I want to create buy-in for the things that I'm, I don't want to go roguely. I want to create some level of buy-in. Empathizers are great at trying to be able to create that buy-in to create engaged employees too. Why do we need outliners? Because we need to work out all the details. We have to figure out what how we're going to do the thing we're going to do. It's nice to have the ideas. It's nice to have the vision for doing something, but if we have to, it takes, requires careful planning and thought. Yeah. Somebody has got to be able to help tweak the process, right? That we can then go and achieve. Why do we need whiteboarders though? Because we're the most fun people to have around. Okay. That's wrong. No, I think most (laughs) organizations need someone to think about what are we going to do next and what, what's our vision for the future? Because otherwise people will stay and organizations will stay stagnant. Yeah. I mean, this is where we say whiteboarders help us stay out of that idea of groupthink, where everybody's just continuing to do the same thing over and over because this is what we've always done. And whiteboarders tend to disrupt that flow and say, why are we doing, maybe it still is the best thing, right? But has anybody asked the question, maybe it's not? What does that look like? Can we just ideate some potential possibilities here? And so hopefully what you've gathered from this is, yes, we have more methods of communication than ever, ever before, but we're also very different in our styles of communication. We communicate differently. Hopefully you also recognize that we always like to give the disclaimer, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. Everybody is loved equally. It takes everybody to take the, make the world go around. But if you're looking around at your team, let's say you're a manager at an organization and you're looking around at your team and you've, you recognize now, maybe after this conversation, that you've done a pretty good job of hiring everybody that looks just like you. I would encourage you maybe to consider something like this. We have several organizations that use things like this in their hiring process, just to see what voice around the table that they need to invite to the around the table that they don't currently have. There is a need for all four of these different communication styles to build an effective team. Maybe you're an employee at, at work and you just have a natural rub with so-and-so. Hopefully you've learned something from this talk that says, okay, they're not trying to be difficult. They're just a go-getter or they're not trying to be slow. They're just an outliner, you know, whatever that might look like. Hopefully you have, uh, you know, we talked about not wanting to label people. Hopefully you have an effective way to be able to label people to produce better work, more efficient uh, team, um, things like that too. So there is going to be, I believe, access to a quiz and things like that. If you'd like to go search for something, I think we're going to offer some pod class opportunities with this. Or if you just like to hire us to come to your organization, we are happy to go present this to your department and team and company as well. Just reach out to us through social media. It's one of our, uh, you know, Don, I know you've done this as much as I've done this too, but it seems like the one that everybody hangs on to and they're like, hey, I'm going to go. They're almost, they have that language immediately after they after they leave the room and they're able to kind of incorporate that too. Yeah, if you bring this to your team, creating that common language helps you deal with the conflict that you feel on a day-to-day basis, and it makes it where it's not so personal. It's not that, oh, well, Matt's a jerk because he's running over everybody. It's like, no, he's just a go-getter. He wants to get stuff done. So then we can accommodate that, and then we can adjust our own styles to match others. Right. Again, the fruit of this is not to understand who you are, but who you are not. How do I step outside of myself to better relate to those folks there? And man, if everybody was doing that, what a wonderful world this would be. All right. So if you'd like to get a hold of us, feel free to uh, listen to the outro. You can feel you can uh, reach reach out to us if you have questions, clarifying questions, you wanted to bring this to your organization, whatever that looks like. Feel free to reach out to us for any and all of that and continue to share the podcast. We appreciate you all. Hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to the People Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. 
If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.